Hi, this is Kale Clark. Welcome to The Faith Explained on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio mobile app. I'm so glad that you're with me today for this journey of exploring, understanding, explaining, and defending our Catholic faith. This is really part of our back-to-basics approach. It's what I wanted to start with. I wanted to start with the person of Jesus, who, of course, is at the heart of our Catholic faith. And now I want to take an even bigger step back in a certain sense. I want to get a bit of a bird's-eye view for you on the whole question of what is the Bible? What is it all about, really? Now, we know that this is the primary way that God speaks to us today. That's true that if you're a saint, uh, throughout the ages, you might have had a locution from God, and uh, maybe even those who aren't officially canonized saints yet, maybe you're one of those people who has heard God speak to you uh, in a very supernatural way. Uh, But we must admit that these are rare occurrences indeed, and we can't really count on that by any means. But we do know that God has provided a way in which he speaks to us every day. And we can hear from him whenever we want. And that's by picking up our Bible and letting him speak to us through the words of sacred scripture. But it's important that we understand uh, what this book is really all about because it's so misunderstood in our culture today, isn't it? Some people think that the Bible has been the root of a lot of superstition in our culture. They think it's full of myths. But it's not. It's about timeless truths, historical truths, that happened in salvation history and really have a lot to do with our lives today. Is it a book full of violence, chauvinism, racism, immorality? Is it about division, intolerance? No, not at all. Not at all. And we will talk about this as we go on. Every place that the Bible has been read, loved, accepted, and followed in practice, society has seen incredible progress. And we see this especially in the Western world, where the Bible really took root historically. Uh, In cultures of the East, uh, not so much. Some places where the scripture was abandoned or never even picked up in the first place, uh, we don't see as much progress in human life, in human freedom, and in human flourishing. And it's important to know. But let's take a look at what the Bible actually is, as I mentioned off the top. Let's take a look at it so that we can get the big picture about why this old book is still fresh today, just as it ever was. Well, let's take, the word, let's take up the word Bible, uh, for starters. What does the word Bible mean? Well, the word Bible is actually the Greek word biblios, translated into English. And biblios means book. But the thing is, the Bible isn't really just a book. It's actually a library. It is a library of different types of books, different types of literature. We have history, poetry, songs, proverbs. Literally, there is a book uh, just of proverbs. It's called the Book of Proverbs. And to make it even more tricky for you, there are some books like Genesis that are a combination of many of these things. History, poetry, it's a mix of genres and a genre is a type of literature and this is the key to understanding the books of the Bible to know what you're reading you can't read a love poem like the Song of Songs it's also known as the Song of Solomon as you would 
a book of history or something like a police report. And by the way, if your love poems sound like police reports, you've got some homework to do. <laughs> but there are many books in the Bible. And there are 73 books in our Catholic Bibles. 46 in the Old Testament and 27 in the New. That makes up 73 in total. Now, some groups like Protestants have taken books out of the canon of the Old Testament. They have the same number of New Testament books, 27, but they have a different number of Old Testament books, only 39. And they've taken out seven books that they refer to as the Apocrypha, or the Deuterocanonical books, as they're sometimes called in the Catholic Church, which means second canon. But we as Catholics still view them as scripture. And by the way, so do many other Christians throughout the world, like the Orthodox churches of the East. They also consider those seven books, which Protestants have removed, to be the Word of God. And they keep them in the Old Testament, just as we do. The Old Testament books are sometimes known as the Hebrew Bible, or the Jewish Bible. Not just because those books are written in the language of Hebrew, which is the language of the people of Israel, but also because sometimes it's a, perhaps a better way to refer to those books, the Hebrew Bible, instead of the Old Testament. Because when we say the words Old Testament, it sounds almost like old news, like it's not relevant for today. Let's get to the new stuff. Let's get to the New Testament. Let's get to the good stuff. That's the way some people think. But don't forget that the Old Testament, or the Hebrew Bible, was the Bible of Jesus, and of St. Paul, too. They loved it, they read it, and it is the Word of God. It's just as powerful today as it ever was. Now, throughout church history, there have been some figures who tried to remove the Old Testament entirely from the Bible. I thought we should just go with the New but thankfully they were overruled uh, by people who are much wiser than they. Because the church's Bible should consist of both the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures, and the New Testament. One of the reasons why that's a great decision is because we really can't understand the New Testament without understanding the Old Testament. As one scholar says, it's kind of like this. You have to understand basic calculus before you can understand trigonometry. To use an example from mathematics, one builds on the other and presupposes some knowledge of the other. So we've got to have at least a rudimentary understanding, a very basic understanding of what the Old Testament is about before we can fully make sense of the new. What is the basic outline of the Old Testament? What's it all about, Alfie? Well, the, uh, you know, at its basic level, it tells us the story that God created everything in the beginning, and he created it to be good, but something went wrong. Something went terribly wrong. Sin was introduced into the creation. But that wasn't the end of the story. Even back in the very beginning, God set in motion a plan to make things right again, to reconcile people with God. And speaking of people, maybe the most famous people in the New Testament are Adam and Eve, 
the first couple, the first marriage, the first human beings. But there's been a lot of conjecture about uh, what their story really means. What is it all about? Is it literal history? When we look at the first few chapters of Genesis, this is, this is part of the problem of interpreting the Bible. Because, as I mentioned, the Bible is made up of different, type of liter- different types of literature, different genres of literature. The book of Genesis, the first book in the Bible, which is pretty lengthy, is actually kind of a hybrid book that's made up of history and poetry. And the beginning of the book of Genesis is not meant to be taken as a scientific account of how God created the universe. The main thrust of this message is that God did it, that God created all things. The one true and living God made the world, made the universe, and all that is in it, including human beings. It's also about meaning. What does our life in this world really mean? What does our life with God mean? And so, very often, uh, some non-Catholic readers and, and writers on the Bible will take a very literalistic approach to the creation story, and in some ways they're mocked by scientists around the world. They'll say things like, the world was created in six literal days. Now, that's certainly possible, but it doesn't seem like that is the thrust of the book of Genesis. For one thing, the writer or writers of Genesis didn't know what modern people do know about science. That wasn't on their mind. A lot of these things hadn't been discovered yet. But what they do posit in this book is very, very true indeed and very meaningful. The world is not an accident. Human beings are more than intelligent and sophisticated animals. The universe is not a result of blind chance, but it was carefully designed by a creator, a powerful creator God. One of the things that Genesis also teaches us is that the problems that we face in our relationships with God and one another, a lot of it we brought upon ourselves. And so this idea of the original fall, the original sin of mankind, is key in letting us know that without God, we're inclined to go our own way, often to the detriment of ourselves and those around us. However, however, we can still find the good. We can still be good and moral. God created us in his own image. That's one of the things that Genesis tells us in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. We have been created with a rational soul. We have been created with intelligence and a moral compass, a conscience. And it's true that some people draw the line in different places, you know, in terms of where they come down and what's right and what's wrong. But all of us agree that there is such a thing as right and wrong. How do we know this? Well, a lot of things that people might advocate are okay. They still wouldn't want done to themselves if it really came down to it. But wherever you draw the line... Most people have a sense, most sane people at least, have a sense of right and wrong. And that is a clue to the meaning of the universe. As I said earlier, God set in motion a plan to redeem and restore us unto himself. And that took place within the history of humanity. Now, perhaps the creation account 
uh, is not meant to be taken as a scientific account of how the universe was created. It's not incompatible with science, though, mind you. Remember, the creator of the Big Bang theory, the scientific theory about how the universe was created, don't forget, was a Catholic priest, Father George Lemaitre. There is no conflict between religion and science. But after this poetic account of how God created the world, which is still true, by the way, we do get into, in the book of Genesis, actual history about how God dealt with people in certain times, places, to bring about his plan for the world. And it starts with an older couple, Abraham and Sarah. By a miracle, they're able to conceive a son in their old age, and that couple becomes a family. That family then becomes a people group, a tribe, and this tribe becomes eventually a nation, the powerful nation of Israel. Israel brings us prophets, they have priests, and also kings. And through the history of those peoples, what the prophets teach us, the ministry of the priests, and the rule of these kings, we see the story of God's working with his people unfold in the Old Testament period. And that's a great way to understand the New Testament as well, because we know that another miraculous son was born in the New Testament, and that is, of course, Jesus of Nazareth, who is more than just a man. He is the God-man. He is God the Son. He is God incarnate. God become human. He was also born in a specific time, in a specific place, in the world, the real world. And he is, in his one person, prophet, priest, and king. And we can understand the message of the New Testament through the lens of his life and what it means for us today. So all of this really fulfills the promises made in the Old Testament. Jesus' sinless life, his ministry, his miracles, his passion, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, his sending of the Holy Spirit upon the church. All of this is rooted in the words of the Old Testament as well. You know, St. Augustine used to say that the New Testament is in the Old concealed and the Old Testament is in the New revealed. Christ is really the subject of all scripture and he's there on every page and he needs to be brought out. So the Old Testament was the Bible, as I said, that Jesus used. He accepted its authority and he quoted it frequently. And St. Paul did as well. We need to have the Old Testament to understand the whole Bible. So let's talk about that first part of the Bible, the Hebrew Scriptures. How old are these books, and what are they all about? Well, the Old Testament books can be very, very old indeed. Some of them date to as far back as 1000 B.C., 10 centuries before Christ. It's also possible that some parts of these books could be dated even earlier. And maybe the most recent books in the Old Testament go to the first century BC, very, very close to and around the time when Jesus was born. Let's take a look at the first part of the Old Testament. Let's do a basic overview. There are the five books of Moses that open the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, 
Numbers and the book of Deuteronomy. This is known as the Pentateuch. And Penta, of course, is a word that means five. These five books of Moses. And then after that, there are a number of historical books in the Old Testament. Think about the book of Joshua, or Judges, 1st and 2nd Samuel, uh, the books of the kings, 1st and 2nd Kings, the writings of the prophets, like Isaiah and the prophet Jeremiah. We also have poetic writings. The Psalms would fall into this category, which are really the worship songs of ancient Israel. There's also the book of Proverbs, you know, pithy uh, nuggets of wisdom, if you will. Uh, There's the book of Ecclesiastes, the teacher and his ruminations on the real meaning of life under the sun and beyond the sun. When we talk about these historical narratives, uh, sometimes they're broken up. There are the former prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and then there are the twelve minor prophets. It doesn't mean that what they have to say isn't as important, uh, but they're known as the prophets that go from Hosea all the way to Malachi. They're also called the latter prophets at times. There's also a category of books in the Old Testament known as the writings, and that would include books like First uh, and Second Chronicles, the book of Daniel, and really it depends sometimes on the tradition uh, that you come from in terms of how these books are arranged. Now, pretty much all of the books of the Old Testament were written in Hebrew, as I said earlier. Some of the book of Daniel, maybe around half of it, was written in Aramaic. Also, some parts of other Old Testament books have some Aramaic writing in them as well. Where did this come from? Well, the Israelites spoke Hebrew, but when the Babylonians conquered Israel in the 6th century before Christ, Aramaic began to kind of creep in, and many Jews started to speak Aramaic. And Aramaic became really the street language of Jesus' day. He would have spoken Aramaic in everyday conversation uh, growing up in Galilee. And this is why, though, Aramaic does slip into some of the Old Testament books. Well, the Old Testament was eventually translated into Greek and also into Latin. In the Catholic Church, the Latin version tended to be used. Think of the famous Vulgate text. And in the Eastern uh, wing of Christianity, the, the Orthodox churches of the East especially, they tended to use the Greek version of the Old Testament. And also, Syriac is used, which Syriac is actually a later form of Aramaic. That's often used by the Eastern Orthodox Christians. But we today tend to read the Bible in our own native tongue. Now, whether that's in English, we read an English translation of the Old Testament, or we read perhaps uh, in Spanish, German, French, it doesn't matter. All of these modern translations come from the original language of the Old Testament. And these translations are very, very good. We can have great confidence in how well they were done and, and that we have something that is very, very, very close to the original text. No other book has influenced our culture more than the Bible. Just think about the famous stories of the Old Testament that you know we know so well in popular culture. Daniel in the lion's den. Think of the flood that destroyed the, the earth. Noah's Ark. Moses giving the tablets of the Ten Commandments to the people. 
Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, David and Goliath, the list goes on and on and on. It gets into film, it gets into literature, it gets into our minds, the collective memory of the culture. The impact of the Old Testament is still huge to this day. And the same is true for the New Testament. Let's give a basic overview of what the New Testament is all about from a bird's eye point of view. Well, the New Testament books were written from about the year A.D. 50. Now think about the fact that Jesus was crucified about the year A.D. 30, somewhere between A.D. 30 and 33. The first New Testament book was written probably around A.D. 50, about 20 years after that. So the church was actually growing, people were being catechized, people were being taught the faith and being baptized long before any of the New Testament books were ever written. A lot of what was taught to the people eventually became inscripturated. I think personally, and this is just, just me talking, I think that all of the New Testament books were written before the year A.D. 70. Because to me, it's just incomprehensible that none of these Old Testament, or sorry, New Testament books, which are written by Jewish people, in almost every case, someone who grew up in the Jewish world, would not mention the destruction of Jerusalem and its temple by the Romans in A.D. 70. It would have been a cataclysmic event for the Jewish people. It would be like the destruction of the very universe itself because to the Jews the temple was a kind of a miniature model of the world or the universe and the world to them was a gigantic temple it was literally like the end of the world when the temple was destroyed now of course it's alluded to and prophesied in the New Testament but no biblical book in the New Testament narrates the destruction of the temple and you know what that to me is just a mind-boggling that they wouldn't talk about this because they would have said see you know what Jesus said was right you know if you reject me terrible things are going to befall this city God is going to come in judgment on the religious leaders of Jerusalem the high priesthood the temple establishment culminating in the destruction of the temple why because the Messiah was rejected by the leaders not by all the people but by the leaders the fact that no New Testament writer actually mentions that, I find that very, very hard to believe if the temple was destroyed while they were writing. It would have been too good to pass up. However, some scholars say that uh, some books of the New Testament weren't written until much later in the first century, possibly as late as 90 or 100 AD, for what it's worth. So we have four Gospels in the New Testament, four biographies of the life of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And they provide, as we just went through the Gospel of Mark, a great uh, set of accounts about the activities of Jesus, what he was up to, his teachings, his ministries, his miracles. We also have, after the four Gospels, a book called the Book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles, which talks about, really it's an early history of the church, what was going on in the first generation after the resurrection of Jesus kind of ends off with Paul's journey to Rome in the year A.D. 62. The Acts of the Apostles was written by the same person who wrote the Gospel of Luke. Dr. Luke, the traveling companion of Paul, he wrote about a quarter of the New Testament when he put it all together. 
And then after that, we have some letters written by St. Paul, and we have a book of Revelation, an apocalypse. And that's something we're going to get into in the future on the Faith Explained program. I know that a lot of you are very, very curious about the book of Revelation. Now, whereas almost all of the Old Testament books are written in Hebrew, the New Testament books are written in Greek. Again, there's some Aramaic words thrown in here and there, but they are written originally in Greek. And again, just this with the Old Testament, images from the New Testament abound in our culture. Think about the Good Samaritan, you know, being a Good Samaritan. Everybody kind of knows what that's about, even if they don't read the Bible. The prodigal son, you know, turning the other cheek, the golden rule. Even elements of the Lord's Prayer, the Our Father, used to be at least very, very well known in our culture. Think about Paul speaking on love in 1 Corinthians Corinthians chapter 13. Love is patient, love is kind, yada, yada, yada. Now, yada, yada, yada is not in the text. Of course, that's Yiddish, but you know what I'm saying. All kinds of imagery from the Bible, old and new, is part of our cultural heritage. And, you know, it's like Jesus is this haunting figure in our culture, even to those who deny him by their way of life, or they don't want to admit that he really existed. And he can impact our life today. So that's a basic overview of what's in the Old Testament and the New. What is the Bible, really? Thanks for joining me today on The Faith Explained. I'm your host, Cale Clark. If you missed an episode, you can always catch them in podcast form on the relevant radio app. I'll join you in the next one, and I'll be with you later today at 5 p.m. Central, right here on Relevant Radio for The Cale Clark Show. Until next time, God bless you.